Welcome to The Business of Defense, sponsored by ASMC on Federal News Network. Here's today's moderator, Rich Brady. Welcome to The Business of Defense, and thank you for joining us. I'm Rich Brady, CEO of the American Society of Military Comptrollers. ASMC is the premier educational and professional nonprofit association that helps to bridge the gap between the boardroom and the battlefield while driving financial transformation in the defense sector. The Business of Defense is the only video podcast that brings you inside defense companies to hear directly from their business leaders and find out how they create value for their companies and their federal clients. My guest today is Tabitha Terman, founder and CEO of Integrated Finance and Accounting Solutions. IFAS is a professional services firm specializing in integrated finance and accounting solutions, which helps federal clients build, sustain, and maintain their enterprise systems. As a U.S. Army veteran and entrepreneur, Tabitha has grown IFAS, which is also a service-disabled, veteran-owned small business and a women-owned small disadvantaged business, from a one-woman consulting firm into a highly regarded, employee-oriented, multi-million dollar firm. I'm excited to hear her unique perspective and learn more about how she's grown IFAS into a well-recognized name by federal agencies and industry leaders. Tabitha, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Rich. Absolutely. So you've got a really interesting story. It's the kind of stuff you read about, uh, the persistence, the grit, the um, resilience, uh, all of that. But let's start at the beginning, go back to 2007 when you started IFAS. Can you talk a little bit about uh, what led you to, uh, to start the business? Absolutely, Rich. My last tour on active duty was to Iraq from March 2004 to March 2005. And when I came back, I decided, you know, I, this is the last time I'm going to leave my children uh, for that long for the military. And so I exited out of active duty and started to work for the government. But I always knew that I wanted to start my own business. About 18 months into working for the federal government, you know, working with contractors and, you know, figuring things out, I decided it's time. It's time to venture out on my own. So in 2007, I ventured out to become a consultant. I'm going to stay at home with my children. I'm just going to be a consultant. I'll work when I want to work. And one thing led to another, and here we are today. Mm -hmm. I, I think I maybe did the consulting thing for about nine months when it was just me. And I was on an Army project, and I had the opportunity to bring on additional folks. And that's how we began to grow into where we are today as IFAS. So you started out basically as a 1099 consultant for another company? I did. I did. Um, and they're not around now. And they took very good care of me. Uh, FCI. I don't know if you've heard of FCI. I can name them by name. Um, they sponsored my facility clearance. Um, about six months in, I went to the owner and said, listen, I... I really didn't set out to work this hard um, when I started my company because I was working around the clock. I have wonderful people that I can add to this project. And so they allowed me to pull myself out and bring someone else in. So this was the company that gave me my very first try because when I started, actually Rich, okay, long story <laughs> short, really. When I first started, uh, I wanted to do QuickBooks and taxes. I said, I'm going to do QuickBooks and taxes. That's what I wanted to do. I studied for the CPA exam. I failed horribly uh, on that. I took one part, failed. I said, oh, nope, can't do that. Did two tax returns in the whole tax season. I said, okay, I've got to do something else. I went to a, a, a seminar on government contracting in 2007, and the light bulb just went off. You know, we need to do business with women. Ding, we need veterans, service-disabled veterans, minorities. I'm like, what am I doing? We buy budget, we buy finance, we buy accounting, all of the things that I did as a finance officer in the military. 
And so right at that conference, my capabilities changed. I became a defense contractor. I introduced myself to everybody at the table as a you know, defense contractor. And fast forward three months, the contract uh, that I'm talking about, where I got to remove myself, someone that sat next to me at the table gave me my first subcontract. And that's how I got started in defense contracting. So it sounds like, uh, you know, I was thinking you took, were taking on a lot of risk uh, when you did this, went out on your own, but going to that uh, seminar that you went to, it probably, it sounded like there was less risk involved uh, than you would originally think because they were looking for all these things that you had. Absolutely, and I just didn't realize, I thought government contracting was so convoluted. Okay, I gotta get all these certifications, I've gotta do this first, I've got, you know, coming from the military, I'm thinking I've gotta, you know, have all of these things in order before I can enter, you know, the industry. But I found out all you needed was like, the grit, uh, the grind, <laughs> because it is a grind, running around the beltway, um, you know, getting customers and everything. But I just knocked on the doors that I was familiar with, my old bosses. Hey, sir, remember me? Ma'am, remember me? And they were, you know, the 15s and the SCSs, you know, at uh, different agencies. And that's where I got my start, just use, leveraging the network that I had built in the military. Yeah, no doubt you're going to have to work uh, very hard. Uh, you said you were thinking about doing QuickBooks and just basic. Yeah. So it just started out as kind of basic finance accounting work. Uh, yes, that's what I thought, you know, working from home. Because, again, uh, I started my company because I wanted to be, um, I wanted to have more flexibility with my children. Right. And that's how I started. It was a lifestyle uh, company for me. And 17 years later, it's still the same. If I feel like I'm taking on too much, okay, we've got a, what job do I need? Am I doing too much as a CEO? Because now I see myself as the visionary. Not much in the execution anymore, um, but really built the infrastructure to support the mission and vision that I set out for and to remain true to why I started the company. And that was the flexibility to be with my family. My children are adults now. And so now I'm back in and it's like, oh, you've built this thing to run, you know, kind of like uh, you're the visionary, you have great folks around you. You really don't have to be, oh, I'm like, hey, I can come over and help with recruiting. Hey, accounting, need any help? I can come, ma'am, we have this, we've got it. We, we have it. So I do more of this, more giving back, more mentoring is uh, uh, smaller companies. Uh, that's what I do now. Yeah, and, and, and even though your children are adults, uh, as I found, they still need a lot of uh, assistance. So uh, yes, you want to definitely want to be there for them. Can you talk about how uh, IFAS has grown over those 17 years, you know, from, you know, a small, you know, sub, you know working as a, a subcontractor to, you know, becoming a prime contractor mm -hmm. and, and growing into uh, all areas of finance and accounting? Mm -hmm. So we, again, our capability centered around what it is, what it was that I could do um, as a leader, but as we started to grow and started to see what industry needed, we started to build our capabilities out to support our clients. I have some great folks on the team. And also it was important to me to build the infrastructure, not just be a small that supported the client, like a staff off, we're not that. We are solutions oriented. Um, we can sit alongside the client uh, and do that as well and not just augment your mission and what it is that you do. So we've been able to grow where we're planted. We'll go into an organization. We, we are financial managers, we're true to our core, but sometimes the client asks you, can you do other things? And we oblige. If it's something that we can do. If we can't, we go get a partner. Uh, we're not opposed to being approached about an opportunity and saying, no, that, that's just not us. But I do have someone that can do that for you. Um, so building the infrastructure was very important early on. So internally, 
we've always had HR department, accounting, our contracts, proposals, quality. We're ISO 9000 certified. That was very important um, in the beginning uh, to be certified and to have our processes certified. Um, yeah, I understand you talked about uh, you're a solutions provider now mm -hmm. and you've got these centers of excellence, but yes, did, did you start out uh, with that in mind, or did you start out uh, doing more staff augmentation? Because it seems, you know, when I talk to companies uh, in this space, many of them, just to get their start, kind of start in that staff augmentation realm and then want to get to solutions. Mm -hmm. Some of them stay in staff augmentation mm -hmm. and are able to build companies doing a lot of staff yeah. augmentation. That's mm -hmm. what they're known for. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like uh, you've gone into the, to the solution space with these centers of excellence that mm -hmm. uh, you've developed as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a mixture. Yeah. Um, we do have some staff aug work, absolutely. Solutions. Absolutely. Sometimes you go in and doing the staff all, but then they realize, okay, this firm is way more savvier than the than what we had before. So let's leverage uh, the opportunity that we have with them, and we, you know, maybe able to add additional uh, services uh, with that. But absolutely, started a staff all. Do we still have it? Absolutely. Uh, do we love it? If it's, you know, we support the client. We are here uh, to support our customers. It's not a bad thing. Um, at all to do that. Right now we're close to 300 strong. So as we grow, we're graduated 8A. Okay, so the strategy had to change right. coming out of the 8A program, as you know. And so we started bidding, winning, and learning. The L was a learn, not a loss, Rich, okay? <laughs> and we still have that mentality. We learn, we don't lose. Coming out of the small business, we still have a couple years runtime before we into Never Never Land, but we're going to, you know, we're going to swing at it and see how we do and learn from that. Um, we don't consider, we don't take losses. We yeah, learn. That's a great attitude to have, uh, yes. and you have to in this space, right? Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. you're gonna, you're gonna have to take a lot of swings on a lot of contracts uh, mm -hmm. before you land a couple. That's absolutely correct. Now, you mentioned, uh, again, going back to the beginning, that uh, there's opportunities uh, for uh, service veterans, uh, disabled veterans, women. Uh, your company is designated as a service-disabled veteran-owned small business and a women-owned small disadvantaged business. What, what advantages does that provide you as a company, and are there some downsides to that, is too, uh, to that too? As you um, market yourself in industry, uh, clients that are looking for support, and when you answer RFIs, you know the rule of two. So if there are other service-disabled veteran, woman-owned firms out there, two of you, you uh, answer an RFI, you do well, then the opportunity can go your way. So that's where the advantage is. It, it kind of, um, the competition is a little slimmer as you get bigger and your capabilities mature. In the right. beginning, there are a lot of service-disabled veteran-owned businesses. There are a lot of woman-owned businesses. But as you get known in industry, you get the past performance, then the it kind of narrows, in my perspective. And so you're you're able to build on that momentum yes. over time, but it takes time. It and takes, it takes time. as you said, that uh, resilience grit. And I definitely want to get to, into that in the next segment. We'll talk about the, okay. the culture okay. in IFS and yes. what you've been able to develop there. Okay. You're listening to the business of defense with my guest Tabitha Terman, founder and CEO of IFS. We'll be right back. The U.S. defense industry is large, complex, and competitive. It is also lucrative for those companies able to navigate it successfully. The American Society of Military Comptrollers helps bridge the gap between the boardroom and the battlefield while supporting transformation in the defense sector. The Business of Defense podcast brings you inside the companies working to achieve this directly from the business leaders and to understand how they create value for their companies and their customers. For more information on ASMC, visit asmconline.org. 
Welcome back to the Business of Defense, sponsored by ASMC on Federal News Network. I'm talking with Tabitha Terman, founder and CEO of Integrated Finance and Accounting Solutions. IFAS's team of experts are guided by a company code of ethics and philosophy that focuses on the individual, customers, and community. This approach creates a strategic advantage for IFAS as they seek to attract talent and operate globally while giving back locally. Tabitha, can you talk a little bit about uh, the culture that uh, you have developed uh, there at IFAS and how that uh, helps provide the support that you need for federal customers and get you those contracts, uh, uh, helps you to win those future contracts? Mm -hmm. We are an organization where we stay connected to the community as well. So that's part of our culture. Not just being a part of ASMC and you know, other professional organizations, we give back in the communities that we live and work. We, on, in, during the holidays, we do, we give back to the homeless, we've done autism walks, we, we let the uh, individuals in the organization come up and say, this is what we believe in, this is how we want to give back, and we once upon a time had a corporate citizenship council, and we're going to get that back going, and COVID it kind of went flat, and now that we're back out and about, we're going to start that back up. And that's individuals where they volunteer and they say, we want to vet the requests that come in, it's not a Tabitha, this is just what I want to do. It's more, we get the employees involved in that giving back. So that's part of the culture as well. And I tell, um, we don't have a BD department, we're all BD, and that's another thing that we, we strive um, to communicate and develop within our culture where we all are kind of many entrepreneurs uh, within IFAS. So we've built that kind of culture over the years. We allow, we've promoted a lot within as well, uh, within the organization that have start on the started on the delivery side, and now they're at headquarters providing support as directors and you know vice presidents. So we believe in growing individuals as we grow as an organization, and that's how our culture is built. How much of this is influenced by your military background? I mean, what did you take uh, from the military uh, that has helped uh, you succeed and develop uh, this type of an organization? The teamwork. I can't do anything alone. I'm more of a visionary officer. I was enlisted as well, uh, but I'm more of a visionary, and so that execution piece, it has to tie together. And you have to motivate people uh, to want to believe in the mission and to want to follow you. You can be out front, way out front, and turn around and nobody's back there. You know what they tell you in the military. <laughs> so it's the same thing in business. You have to be able to motivate um, individuals to believe in the vision and mission that you have set forth for the company. And I believe we're doing that. Are there disconnects at times? Absolutely, because we evolve. We've evolved. You know, we start here. And then we, we just kind of shot up and it's okay. The messaging has to be a little more crisp as you get bigger. Um, and it has to be clear because there are more people that you have to get the message across to. And you want everybody marching to the same beat if you want to accomplish the mission together. So that's what I brought from the military. Uh, who were your mentors? Uh, did you have some mentors in the military or in the business world that have helped you? Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely, and they're still there. People always ask me, do you have a board of advisors? Absolutely. Yeah. They don't know it. I haven't anointed them that, but <laughs> absolutely. And some are still in, um, you know, one went to industry and then is now in the federal government, but a, a very, um, a very um, strong mentor of mine. He was my mentor in the military as well. Um, so I still rely on him for a lot of uh, feedback and support. And then also, I have a very good friend. I don't even know how we got connected. Um, 
but he was a CEO and he was a COO of a company that sold. And so he said, and I can pick up the phone at any time and talk to him and he is a, a, a great resource for me. And how do you think these relationships develop uh, over time? You know, a lot of people, young, early careers and everything, they want mentors and they're trying to figure out the best way to establish those relationships. Do you think they just come together naturally or are you, you know, you've probably seen in the military or even in the private sector where they've got official mentorship programs. Mm -hmm. uh, what's worked for you? Mm -hmm. And I talk a lot about that in my book, Passion, Purpose, Drive, P2D, Elements of a Growth Mindset, and that's a very important chapter. And for me, mentorship is a two-way thing. Okay, it's a two-way, um, the best relation, mentor relationship, mentor-protege uh, relationships are two-way. It's not just a take, 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 take. And it's showing interest in your mentor as well. Um, they have bad days. They have interests. You know, you, when you talk and conversate, you know there are things that they're interested in, and you follow up on that. And if you can make an introduction in your little network to help your mentor, you know, sometimes you can do that. Uh, you send notes. You know, maybe you know Christmas, something like that. You know, you just make it a two-way um, conversation. And now that I am mentoring. I expect the same. So and be, you have to be want to be mentored as well because there are people that'll come to you and say, I want you to be my mentor, but they talk the whole time. Right. And I'm like, okay, did you, want, you want me to mentor you so you can tell me how wonderful you are or do you really want to be mentored? So you have to be a sponge and be coachable and teachable uh, when you say you want to be mentored. And that sometimes it gets brutal because I thought I was doing great in one area and one thing, and I talked to my mentor about it, and it's like, you're doing everything wrong. I mean, you think this is how it goes, but it's not. Let me tell you, and then I'm like, oh, I got blind spots. You're right, I didn't think about that. Okay, let me, let me, let me pivot, let me pivot, because I'm going down a road that is not gonna be good for IFAS. Yeah, you have to be open uh, uh, to uh, some, some harsh criticism, some, yes. tough, uh, some tough criticism uh, if you're going to be an effective uh, mentor-mentee relationship. Yes. What led you to write uh, your book, uh, to, to write all this down? Absolutely. So this is like a labor of love. It took over 15 years, notes, manuscripts all over the place, and then the world shut down in March of 2020. So you had all sorts of time on your hands, right? Yeah, I'm like, oh, what can I do? Okay, yeah, because I wanted to be productive. I'm one of those people where I just can't sit or I have to be, I want to be productive. And so I went to writing the book. And not only was it about being productive in the pandemic, it's something that I wanted to do because again, people would come to me and say, I want to be mentored. And, and I start to sound like a broken record because it's all the same. I was saying mm -hmm. the same stuff. I said, I need to put this in a book. You know, I need to put, I need to put all of this information in a book so people can have it to read it and to refer back to. So that's, uh, where the book, the idea for this particular book came about. Let's talk a little bit about uh, talent management if mm -hmm. we can. And, and you know, there's a lot of talk about right now the, the talent pipeline issues in finance and accounting. And you and I have been involved uh, in some um, seminars and things where they talk about mm -hmm. uh, this, this issue. And specifically, uh, minority recruitment mm -hmm. in finance and accounting because obviously if you don't bring in the minority into minority recruitment into finance and accounting mm -hmm. um, we're not going to have the minority owned right. firms as well and I know you're a, a large proponent of, of that uh, that effort so can you talk a little bit of what what do you see as some of the challenges I think in the broader talent pipeline issue in finance and accounting and more specifically to minority candidates yeah that is a challenge and again it's across the board and that's because um, there are just more professions out there that 
for lack of a better word, seems sexier than yeah. accounting. I mean, accounting, yeah. you know, with the AI. But you know, they want the cyber and the and all of that stuff, which is great because there's a shortage there as well. But uh, in the so I believe, and Wendy Morton Huddleston as yes. as a, is a Oh, this is ASMC, not AGA. But anyway, that's all right. Okay, we, we <laughs> okay. love all associations. Okay, yeah. But so working with her, there was an initiative to go to the HBCUs, um, to the historically black colleges and universities, to seek out that talent that were interested in finance and accounting, and to take the chapters to these organizations. So you you have. Of folks that can talk to you about what it means to grow a career in finance and accounting. So I think that's important to get, um, to start building that pipeline to connect and to find, you know, I'm at the, I'm, I'm about to sunset out of, you know, the workforce. And so I think getting the younger generation to talk, someone that, could, that resonates with uh, those folks that are coming out of college, what it is they're doing, the past that they took, and then what you can do with an accounting or finance degree. It's not just sitting crunching numbers, um, you know, like the old days where in the Excel spreadsheet, you have that uh, the analytical skills to go out and start businesses. You have accountants that venture over into the IT, that go into other spaces because you have those analytical skills. So we just have to market it in a way to where it's attractive to young folks. I, you just don't hear kids saying, I want to go into accounting anymore, right. which is unfortunate. But it's a passion of mine to get more minorities, uh, minorities interested in the finance and accounting field. Well, you are definitely a role model in that area. So where, where are we going to find Tabitha Terman in five years? At IFAC. <laughs> in five, year, five years from now, I see us, um, so we'll more than likely uh, be out of the small business uh, arena. We'll still grow um, the organization um, and look for opportunities for our folks to grow as well, uh, stay, staying connected to the community. Also, probably on my second book, I have a, um, an affinity for, again, mentoring. Uh, mentoring the next generation of leaders, you know, those uh, 8A firms that are coming out of the 8A program, giving them hope. You know, we graduated five years ago out of the 8A program and we're still around. But, you know, in industry, the, um, the stigma is that, you know, most 8As, when they graduate, they go away. Right. But I want to be able to motivate and inspire them to actually, uh, you know, build your infrastructure, start bidding early, earlier than your seventh or eighth year because it's nine years in the program start bidding early so you can win or learn uh, learn you have to learn how to play uh, when when it comes time to bidding on opportunity so that's more that's where I see myself at well we look forward to having you back and hearing about all of your accomplishments thank you so much and thank you for having me Rich. absolutely I'd like to thank today's guest Tabitha Terman founder and CEO of IFS for talking about her firm strategy culture competition and customer centric focus which have led to sustained growth for nearly 20 years. Watch the Business of Defense next month, where we bring you inside the companies working to drive change in the defense sector to hear directly from their business leaders and to understand how they create value for their companies and their customers. And check out ASMC's website at asmconline.org, where you can find more information on upcoming events and programs, including ASMC's second annual Program Budget Summit happening on January 18th, 2024, where we bring together defense financial management professionals from the government and commercial sectors to discuss the key issues facing defense financial management in 2024. And since this is our last show for 2023, 
I want to wish everyone a happy holidays and happy new year. I am Rich Brady, CEO of the American Society of Military Comptrollers. You are listening to the Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search ASMC. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Business of Defense, sponsored by ASMC on Federal News Network.